Our gospel lesson this morning tells a familiar story, particularly because some version of Jesus being anointed is found in all four of the gospels. John's account is different, though. Situated shortly after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he is returned to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus for a respite with friends before he heads into Jerusalem. That journey to Jerusalem is something we'll commemorate next Sunday as we wave palms and shout Hosanna. But in the midst of miracles and moments of foreshadowing, the Gospel of John not only has an account of Jesus being anointed, but it gives the name of the woman who anoints him. Names matter. None of the other Gospels name the woman. But in naming her, John is showing the significance of her act, the value of who she is. Mary of Bethany, sister of Lazarus, anoints Jesus. Listen now to a word from the Lord found in John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those seated at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot... One of his disciples, the one who would betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with me, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In third grade, I met my childhood best friend, Lee Huggins. She and I were the perfect complement. You see, she was quiet, and I am loud. She was really funny, and I was nerdy. She's the oldest of three children, and I am the youngest of three. Our friendship was forged over late-night sleepovers where we sang all the lyrics to Hanson's Oombop and vegged out on homemade shredded cheese. We were inseparable. In fact, not only would we go to school and church together, but we would do everything we could to spend each waking moment by the other's side. However, as we grew, we ended up attending different high schools and participating in different extracurricular activities. I did student government, which mainly met during school hours, and Lee played flute in the marching band. I began to resent the marching band a little bit because they practiced after school, which meant 
that she no longer was able to attend youth group in the evenings. One Wednesday night, sitting in the sanctuary of our church preparing for youth group to begin, I was chatting with a friend when someone came up and covered my eyes. In an instant, this smell came over me. It was the sweetest smell, like a warm hug, and I immediately screamed, Oh my goodness, you're here! Was marching band canceled? I jumped up, I turned around and gave Leah a hug, and when I pulled back, she had the most perplexed look on her face. How had she been given away? I looked at her with a smile and I said, I'd know that smell anywhere. It's the smell of my childhood. I wonder if there are fragrances that do the same thing for you, that trigger a memory of a loved one or transport you to another place in your mind. When Mary anoints Jesus, she doesn't use just a little perfume. She is extravagant, prodigal even, to the point that some would say that she is wasteful. She makes a grand gesture to show her deep love and gratitude for Jesus. And in so doing, she unintentionally invites others to experience it as well. I imagine that the fragrance filled the room, perhaps even overwhelmed. Some have suggested that maybe this perfume was left over because Mary had it to anoint her brother at his death. And because Jesus raised him from the dead, she didn't have to use it. What a mixture of grief and gratitude. I wonder what that smell triggered for others. Were they transported back to the moment of Lazarus' resurrection when the stench of his body overwhelmed? Or perhaps they remembered a preparation of their own for a loved one's burial. In this act of extravagance, Mary brings all those who are present along with her for her act of worship. And I don't think Mary feels shame about the fact that she is interrupting a room full of men, even though Judas tries to shame her. You see, he questions her motives and insinuates that Mary is being wasteful. But Mary does not feel shame. She doesn't wait until Jesus is alone to show her gratitude. She doesn't care if others see her show her love. Her anointing of Jesus is a brazen act of beauty, a bold gesture, free from shame. Mary washes his feet with perfume, which is an act of service, a sign of discipleship toward Jesus. This gesture is wrapped up in so much emotion. Mary is the first in John's gospel to embody love. Before Jesus even commands it in the upper room, love one another as I have loved you. 
Mary responds with love to Christ in a brazen act of beauty. What makes this beautiful for me is the way that it's almost resistant to death. Maybe even like a protest of death. You see, if this perfume is made for burial preparation, Mary is wasting it on the living Christ. Death has no power there, and she is celebrating it. What's even more beautiful for me is the boldness of her action, not only by entering a room filled with men, but wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, bowing down lowly, offering her whole self to God. I imagine that Mary didn't really seem to think this through. Otherwise, she might have brought a towel with her to wipe up the excess. Instead, she uses her hair. She doesn't act on a plan, and she doesn't need one. In all of the messiness and breaking with tradition, Mary's act allows others to see love for God embodied. I think often we second-guess ourselves or think that we're not worthy to demonstrate our faith in God in such brazen ways. We get worried about whom we might offend or that others will label us hypocrites. We hold back or we try to hide because we think we're too broken to invite others to experience the love of God like we have. In these moments of self-doubt, I hope we hear the words of Isaiah 43 that George read for us a moment ago. You see, God wants to do something new in us and through us. God wants to take the things that are broken, that are barren, that are dried out, and bring new life to them. In the 15th century, a Japanese military commander by the name of Ashikoga Yoshimasa broke his beloved Chinese tea bowl. With great hope, he sent it back to China to be repaired. And when it was returned to him, it came back with these bulky metal mendings, almost like they had tried to staple the pottery together. Yoshimasa was so disappointed that he took it to a Japanese craftsman to try and find a better way to repair his beloved tea bowl. And thus, the art of kintsugi was originated. Kintsugi, which literally means golden joinery. It's a method of lacquer resin where golden powder is added Yoshimasa's bowl was returned to him even more beautiful than the original state in which he found it. It was smooth and one piece, but it had the most exquisite golden lines joining it together. Kintsugi didn't seek to hide the flaws of the broken bowl, but rather used them to transform it into something stronger and more beautiful. 
When Mary anoints Jesus' feet, she's not seeking to hide her brokenness. Her faith is on display, embodying her love, pouring out all she has for the one who has made her whole. While John's account has Judas accusing her of being wasteful for using so much perfume, both Matthew and Mark put this accusation in the mouths of a collective group of disciples. And I think that's an important point for us. You see, too often we try to police others' actions of worship or the way they live out their faith. And too often, I think, we allow others to police the way we practice our faith. We've all encountered people that we would label as holier than thou, who are quick to tell you how you should have acted, what political issues you should fight for, or what causes are best to give your money. Mary isn't having any of this, and neither is Jesus. It makes me think of the British terminology, a waster. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. A waster is an idiom that's used for someone who has little value, an idler, a loafer, a good-for-nothing. And when the Iona community in Scotland worships using the story of Jesus' anointing, they use the term waster in their liturgy. Listen to this. It was on a Wednesday that they called him a waster. The place smelled like the perfume department of a big mall store. It was as if someone had bumped in and elbowed a bottle and sent it crashing to the floor, setting off the most expensive stink bomb on earth. But it happened in a house, not a shop. And the woman who broke the bottle was no casual afternoon shopper, She was the penniless, poorest of the poor, giving away the only precious thing she had. As he sat still while she poured the liquid all over his feet, those who smelled it and those who saw it and those who remembered he was against extravagance called him a waster. They forgot he was the poorest of the poor. And they who had much objected to a pauper giving him everything. Jealousy was in the air when a poor woman's generosity became an embarrassment to their tight-fistedness. That was on a Wednesday when they called him a waster. As we hear God's story this morning, May we be challenged to act. May we be brazen and unashamed to bring God the disjointed pieces of our life, our faith-filled questions, and allow God to make something beautiful of it. Allow God to transform our acts of worship. Let us not be afraid to be called wasters or be concerned with who others, how others might perceive our actions. God is not calling us to mask our shortcomings, but rather 
to put on display the transformation that comes from receiving God's love and responds likewise in love. So what might that act look like for us today? To take part in a brazen act of beauty. It probably won't involve wiping someone's feet with your hair, but if that's how you hear God calling you, go and love boldly. But maybe you're someone who feels like you've passed the age of parenting, but you still have home, a space in your heart. Perhaps your brazen act of beauty is to foster a child in our community. Maybe you're not a concert-trained vocalist, but you love to sing. Perhaps your brazen act of beauty is to join the choir and help others worship our Creator. Maybe each time you pull up to the street corner and you see someone there asking for money, your heart aches. But you know that helping that person won't end systemic poverty or address the mental health issues that are put them there. Perhaps your brazen act of beauty is to take time and share a meal with them anyways, meeting their immediate needs. However you sense the Spirit moving, I believe in this season of Lent, as we approach the cross and prepare to celebrate new life, God does not want shame to hold us back. God wants to create streams in the desert and do something new in and through us. We are called to bold acts of faith. And in doing so, our own faith will be strengthened and others will be invited to participate with us. This is a faith full to the brim. May it be so for each of us. Amen.